0: Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast, our 123rd weekly episode. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip back in time to bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago, exactly as it happened as it was reported by some of the greatest sports writers of all time. This week, it's March 20th to 26th, 1972. If you like what we do here every week on the Hockey Podcast Network and pretty soon back again on Twitter... You can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat stuff and special content where we delve more deeply and in greater detail to the stories that dominated the hockey world 50 years ago. In 1972, we have two really huge events that we'll be looking at very closely of course the advent of the world hockey association and this September the summit series between the Soviet Union and Canada and we hope to have some pretty interesting stuff stories you probably won't be able to find anywhere else. Quick personal update this week uh we're getting a little better day by day the effects of long covid while they're still fairly debilitating We're managing uh, to uh, adjust, I guess is the best way to say to it working hard at uh, trying to do our research so that the podcast can get out every week. And hopefully, if we can get ourselves caught up enough, we might, and we get the energy level up, we might get the Twitter feed back within the next week or two. I got my fingers crossed for that. It's a day-to-day thing, but we'll keep working at it. So, let's get to the news of this week. And we'll begin, as we try to do every week, with a look at the National Hockey League Standings now in the Eastern Division, the Rangers with 107 points on a 48-13-11 record had closed to within five of the Bruins at 51-10-10, but the Bruins did have a game in hand, and most people felt that the Rangers just would not be able to catch the Bruins. Montreal solidly in third place, 101 points, six back of the Rangers, way ahead of Toronto in third was 73, but Detroit only four points, back of the Leafs was 69. Both teams had played 72 games as we started this week. Uh, bringing up the rear, Buffalo with 45 points and Vancouver with 40. Three out west, the Blackhawks at 42, 17, and 13 at 97 points. Very comfortable 19 point margin over the North Stars. 17 back of the Minnesotans, the St. Louis Blues. Who had themselves 61 points. They're in a dogfight with California, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh for 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th in the Western Division. Say the Blues as we said had 61. The Seals 1 point back at 60. The Flyers only 2 point back of the Seals with 58. And the Pittsburgh Penguins also with 58. But the Flyers had the edge in that they were a little bit better in the Lost column, the Kings bringing up the rear with 44 points, which, if the season ended today, would have put the Kings drafting second. Now we had a uh, article last week. Uh, we didn't; it didn't make the final cut. But Larry Regan, the Kings' general manager, he talked about first-round draft picks, and he was saying how draft picks are way overrated unless you're getting a guy like Dion or Lafleur or Perot. Guys who were picked first or second or third, fourth, fifth, like Richard Martin. Kings are slated to pick second this year and don't have a draft pick. So let's get to the news and notes for this week. We're going to try and grow along in chronological order as the week unfolded for you. And pay attention, boys and girls, because some of the stories that we're going to talk about uh, through this whole episode are going to have impacts on the hockey news for the rest of this year. And some of them are little clues as to what could be going on. As the time goes on, so there's a lot of little nuggets that we were starting to uncover as we went through the hockey news nearing the end of the 1971-72 hockey season. The week began with news out of Toronto that coach Johnny McClellan, who'd been sidelined for the past couple of weeks with what was reported to have been a severe stomach ulcer, well, there was a thought that he could be back behind the Maple Leafs bench by Wednesday. Uh, the Leafs spoke up pretty quick and said that's optimistic on John's part but we think maybe by Friday he could be behind the bench when the Leafs journey to Vancouver to play the Canucks in uh, McClellan's absence King Clancy had been handling the team and his presence seemed to spark the Leafs a bit as we uh, had mentioned now being four points up on the Red Wings. Canucks by the way lost defenseman Dale Talon for the rest of the season after he had surgery to move cartilage from his right knee. Dale had been injured uh, the previous weekend, Sunday night, when he took a check from the Blues' Bob Plager. Dale was not the first person that Bob Plager put out of the lineup. He certainly would not be the last. Another early week injury report, right winger Gerard Gilbert of the Rangers gone for seven to ten days with what the team described as a severely strained neck muscle. Gilbert later uh, confided to an out-of-town reporter later in the week that it was more of a slip disc, and this is worrisome to the Rangers, if you remember back in the 60s when rod was a rookie coming out of junior hockey he had a spinal fusion operation on his spine so anything that sounds like a slip disc has to be uh, something that the rangers want to tread lightly on and uh, don't rush him back here was an interesting story this week uh in the present time now in 2022 Uh, One of the interesting trends I've seen over the last couple of years has been for coaches pulling goalkeepers in favor of an extra attacker in a close game in which they're trailing. And they've been doing it a lot earlier than the conventional one-minute to play when behind in that close game. Uh, This is as a result of... uh, advanced analytics that are indicating statistically it's much more advantageous for a coach to get the goalkeeper out earlier and the extra skater on the ice to take part in the play a little farther from the end of the game. Uh, We all thought up until this time, a lot of people, most people did, that one minute or less Maybe a minute 20 would be the time to pull the goalie, but not before that. Then the analytics started to come in and people's ideas began to change. I, by the way, I worked in the analytics industry. Uh, former Arizona G- uh, general manager, John Chaika started a, a Statletes, an analytics company. I, and I was there in the early days with them. I was what they called a video analyst, which was taking the play analyzing it, and putting the data into the software where we got those wonderful numbers. I'm a big analytics guy. This is something that I kind of found as we were doing this. Anyway, 50 years ago this week, Al Arbor was coach of the St. Louis Blues, and he made the move that was more familiar to fans 50 years later. Down 3-1 to one with two minutes and nine seconds to play, Al Arbor pulled his goalkeeper against the Canucks. Jacques Caron was the goalie. He was incredulous when he was motioned to the bench with way over two minutes to play. And guess what? All the pieces fell into place. Caron was only out of the net for 17 seconds when Frank St. Marseille found the range to make the score 3-2. And 45 seconds later, with Jacques Caron back between the pipes, Phil Roberto struck for the Blues again. That tied the score 3-3 and Al Arbor's gamble paid off. But at those times, nobody else thought that was such a great idea. Bill Hunter is a top executive, apparently, in the World Hockey Association and the owner of the Edmonton World Hockey Association franchise. One of his early picks in the WHA player draft was Bobby Clark of the Philadelphia Flyers. And Hunter told anyone who would listen to him that Clark would be signed and would be a star in Edmonton for many years to come. Just what Edmonton would need a star center to get their franchise going. Well, the Flyers put the kibosh on that this week. The Philadelphia Club talked Bobby into a $120,000 a year, five-year contract, and Bobby Clark would not be moving to the World Hockey Association. Even though the trade deadline had passed, there were still some rumors going around of upcoming movement within the league. Uh, Bob Verdi of the Chicago Tribune, who had taken over for most of the hockey reporting from Ted Dematte, Bob's a very good writer, uh, he reported that Freddie Glover could be leaving the Los Angeles Kings coaching job. Where is he going? He was going to move all the way across North America to become the first coach of the New York Islanders, according to Bob Verdi. Another story was that uh, Verdi said that Ned Harkness of the Red Wings was trying desperately to pry goalie Jerry Desjardins away from the Chicago Blackhawks. Desjardins, of course, the number three man on the Hawks' uh, depth chart and goal, with Tony Esposito and Gary Smith ahead of him. But Chicago didn't seem to want to cooperate. They asked from uh, Detroit, either Marcel Dion or Red Berenson. Ned Harkness was uh, not the smartest hockey man that ever took a job in the NHL, but even Ned Harkness was smarter than to get involved in something like that. If you remember 1967 when the National Hockey League first expanded, one of these shoe-in cities, according to all the writers all around uh, North America, and especially in the original six cities, was the city of Baltimore. Baltimore was expected to be one of the cities that was obvious on the NHL's list for expansion, despite the fact that the arena in Baltimore was really, really, really Not up to NHL standards. Well, some news this week. Governor Marvin Mandel of Maryland, following a meeting with Baltimore's four professional athletic team owners, said that a multi-sports arena in downtown Baltimore will be constructed and hopefully ready for occupancy by 1975. Mandel said that their study had found that such an arena is feasible both economically and physically, and the next step is to create an authority to proceed with further planning of the facility. He was flanked at a special news conference by Carol Rosenblum, owner of the NFL Baltimore Coats, Gerald Hoffenberger of the Baltimore Orioles, the uh, Baltimore Bullets owner Jerry Sachs that's the NBA Baltimore Bullets and Zanville Krieger owner of the AHL Clippers the arena would be and sports complex would be constructed in an area that's kind of uh, run down right now near the inner harbor uh, an area called Camden Yards A weird story out of St. Catharines Junior A this week. In an unprecedented and organized hockey move, the St. Catharines OHA Junior A Blackhawks lost their regular staff of goalkeepers yesterday, which was Monday, when all three packed their bags. They have three goalkeepers. All three of them packed their bags and they left for home. Mike Ralph, 19 years old, of Mississauga, a former Toronto Marlboro, told the Globe and Mail, we talked it over Sunday night after the game in Oshawa and came to the decision reluctantly. I just hope it doesn't upset the club before the playoffs. But, Ralph says, we had no Alternative also leaving the team were Brian Kuzno, a native of Sarnia, and Chauvel, Quebec's Gordy Black. Both of those young guys are 18. So, what did the, the Blackhawks do for goalkeepers? Well, uh, Bill Chiropoda, a 16 year old, who was playing with the Saint Catharines Lions Club midget team this season, made his junior A debut Sunday night against Oshawa and the Hawks beat the generals four to one of of course this whole quest this whole situation begs the question why would three promising young goalkeepers simply leave a team a junior a team well black said this with three goalies none of us got into enough games it was just a matter of loss of pride and we just didn't see eye to eye with management about that. Black had played only three complete games this season, and he did get into parts of four others. Ralph and Kuzinal each had participated in 24 games. Their combined goals against average for the three was well above five goals a game. Hawks coach Frank Milne said he was surprised but not worried about the sudden departures. To be honest said Milne. Our goalkeeping had not developed as I'd hoped and we will just go with Bill Chirapita and the juvenile Jim Hopkins. Last week we reported on a scrawny little kid from Brantford scoring hundreds of goals it seems in in minor hockey and this week these stories are being carried, carried right across the country. Here's one that this story appeared in a, a number of newspapers, so I can't credit just one. A quick look at Wayne Gretzky as he sits on the crowded bench in the tiny dressing room, adjusting his shoulder harness, gives no indication of his scoring ability on the ice. He's short for his 10 years and two months, and a shy smile covers his face as a teammate hollers hey Wayne here's another guy wanting to talk to you. Wayne weighs a meager 70 pounds and he stands just four feet four inches tall and he's the scoring star of the Brantford team in the Brampton International Novice Hockey Tournament being played this week in Brampton. He modestly admits he scored 305 goals and assisted on 113 more in only 69 league and exhibition games in his own territory. He added 10 goals and one assist as Brantford defeated Oakville 11-5 on the round on the opening round. In the morning game won by Brantford 4-2, he scored three goals and set up the other. And in the night game, he scored all seven of his team's goals coach bog hawkins said he's a great little player no kidding bob the brantford team plays in the ontario minor hockey association hub novice league other teams in the loop are from kitchener waterloo woodstock stratford and Golf. Hawkins said around our league, everybody thinks of him as a defenseman, but actually, he's a center player. In fact, he can play every position on the team, and I'll bet he could even be a decent goalkeeper. Now, the coach said he'd used Wayne many times on defense, and he scored several goals from that position. Hawkins said, I usually start him on defense, and if I see we're in trouble, I move him up. It doesn't make much difference where he plays, because he's got the happy neck of getting the puck into the net. During the season, the Brantford team has scored 530 goals, and Hawkins said Wayne was in on 418 of them. Four 4'4", four, 70 pounds, and maybe if he puts on a little bit weight, he might get a shot at the minor pros. University hockey in the United States next season, 72-73, is going to undergo a great uh, transformation. Bob Monahan of the Boston Globe reports a major change was made in college hockey starting next season. College players may body check all over the ice right the same way as the professionals do. Prior to this rule change, college players were allowed to check only up to the opponent's blue line. The Hockey Rules Committee of the National Collegiate Athletic Association approved the change while meeting in Miami, Florida. Last week during the coaches convention, the coaches voted by the narrow margin of 21-20 to to recommend the rule to the committee reactions to the change varied as they always do but a majority of the coaches and players said that they're very much in favor of it the only difference between college and pro hockey now is that the pros have a red line at mid-ice Boston University coach Jack Kelly said, I've been in favor of this for years. Jack Kelly, by the way, going to coach in the World Hockey Association next year, leaving the college ranks. Kelly said, now we have uniform rules right from the peewees up to the pros with the exception of the red line. And I believe the college game is better without the red line. I believe the checking rule will make for better games." But not everybody is quite so happy with this. Harvard coach Bill Cleary was downright angry at the decision. He said, I'm very disappointed. In no way can I see this helping college hockey. We have a fast game now, and this is going to slow it down. You'll see more bumping. You'll see more holding. A rule should be made to make the game better, and there's no way, no way that this will help college hockey. Cleary went on to say that he knows there's going to be more cross-checking, charging, and high-sticking, and he doesn't like it. Cleary said, I'm coaching American college hockey, not trying to get kids ready for the pros. I don't think Bill Cleary got the memo, but the pros are going to be wanting your players, whether you get them ready or not. From, remember we told you about Tim Horton of the Penguins separating his shoulder, probably done for the year, and we wondered if maybe he had played his last NHL game? Well, guess what? This week... Tim was at the Pens workouts, just skates and sweats, of course, but Coach Red Kelly said that Tim looked really good, and he may use the 42-year-old in the season-closing games if the Pens are in a fight for a playoff spot, and right now, it looks like they will be in a fight like that. If Pittsburgh does make it to the playoffs, Horton is going to be back in the Penguins lineup for sure, according to to Red Kelly, still the Penguins coach. Another NHL coach was asked about another player, and this is Ken Dryden of the Canadians as the goalkeeper. Scotty Bowman of the Canadians as the coach. The big goalie has played 59 in Montreal's 73 games. He missed 13 games with injuries, and Scotty Bowman says he is not going to rest Ken Dryden down the stretch. He's going to play him right there even though he can't move up much past third place and certainly will not be caught by Toronto or Detroit for third place. So Ken Dryden is going to play. Bowman wants him sharp. Scotty says he got a lot of rest when he missed the 13 games with the bad back. John of the Rangers, got the cast off his busted ankle this week, and he says he hopes he's going to start skating very soon and that he will be ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs. But the Rangers made a call-up anyway this week. Forward Norm Grattan from the Omaha Knights of the Central League is coming up to fill in for right-winger Bruce McGregor, who's going to miss a few games with some bruised ribs. And that's a painful thing. You don't play through pain like that. Interesting little story here. I try and find everything interesting, but this was one that grabbed my attention back when it was actually publicized. I had no idea. You remember the Canadian national team, Canada withdrew from international hockey. The uh, national program pretty much disbanded. Hockey Canada handling the international uh, program, or lack of thereof for Canada right now. But there are, in the National Hockey League in the 1971-72 season, 11 graduates of that Canadian national hockey team. They are Ken Dryden and Bob Murdoch of the Canadians, Brian Glennie and Billy McMillan of the Maple Leafs, Danny and Kevin O'Shea of the Blues, Butch Goring and Bob Berry of the L.A. Kings, Jerry Pinder, Marshall Johnson of the Seals, and the New York Rangers young defenseman, Ab DeMarco Jr. Oh, we've heard the Rangers uh, fans whining about the injuries they've had, and, and they've had bad injuries. I mean, the players that they have been, had they've lost. Look, at Brad Park goes down later this week. Rod Gilberto with the neck problem, of course, the broken ankle for Jean Rattel, but pity the poor Buffalo Sabres. Because it's not just the players that have been having the problems there. Buffalo's trainer Frank Christia this week underwent surgery for removal of his gallbladder, and he became the 16th member of the team to be lodged in hospital this season. The list, of course, is headed by Coach Punch Imlach, who's recovering from a heart attack he suffered in January. As well... 13 players have been hurt, and assistant general manager Freddie Hunt was stricken with pancreatitis. Dan Stoneking of the Minneapolis Star has this uh, touching story about Lou Nanny of the North Stars. North Star's Lou Nanny kept his promise to 10-year-old Mark Klein Tuesday night. Mark and I got our 20, said Nanny, after he scored his 20th goal of the season in Minnesota's 4-2 victory against California Golden Seals in Minneapolis at the Metropolitan Sports Center. Mark is the son of Mr. and Mrs. Thomas W. Klein, and he passed away last week of leukemia. Lou Nanny had visited him two weeks ago in Mount Sinai Hospital. Lou said he made me feel like a superstar. At that time Mark showed Nanny a piece of wood he had painted into a scorecard which illustrated each of Nanny's at then time the total of 18 goals. Mark said to Lou there's room for two more there and Lou said well We'll try and get them for you, Mark. When Mr. Nanny came for that visit, it was the first time in six weeks that Mark had sat up in bed," said Mrs. Catherine Klein, the mother of nine children. He had sent some autographed pictures of the North Stars before that. When he found out just what a big fan that young Mark was, the visit proved inspirational for the thirty-year-old nanny as well, making a difficult co- uh, conversion from right wing or two right wing from defense this season. Nanny gets 20 goals, and he said his rush at the end of the season was because of the inspiration uh, given to him by one very young, devoted hockey fan. A record this week for Marcel Diana, the Red Wings. Marcel... set the record for points in a season by a rookie, the five-foot-eight center, scored two goals, added two assists in Detroit's 6-3 victory over the LA Kings out on the West Coast. That gives him 75 points for the season, three above the previous high of 72, set just a year ago by Gilbert Perrault of the Buffalo Sabres. I got to know Marcel quite a bit over the last couple years. I was a regular over at his diner. Uh, got to uh, take a look at a lot of his uh, uh, memorabilia in the shop he had there. The, the store is closed now. We understand he's got another project uh, not far away, we hope. And I hope to get Marcel onto the, the show here one time to talk about some of the more interesting things that he had to go through 50 years ago. The city of Dayton, Ohio's World Hockey Association dream appears to be slipping away while team president Paul Dernot, he skates around the issue, uh, citing consultant reports that puts Dayton as a surefire success in a new pro hockey league, but... City Council simply will not make a timely decision on the location of a new arena to house a team and it's quite likely there's not even going to be a new local arena as opposition around the city continues to rise and many groups are disputing the fact that the city is willing to spend a large fortune to house a team that's not putting any money into it. We don't know where this is going. Well, we do know 50 years later. But at that point in time, didn't look good for Dayton, Ohio. Johnny McClellan did indeed return to the Maple Leafs bench on Friday evening in Vancouver. Uh, he coached the Leafs. He had a rough night. You could see he was uh, uncomfortable behind the bench. And his return was short-lived. After the one game... Johnny went to general manager Jim Gregory of the Leafs. He actually waited till the next day to see how he felt when he had a good night's sleep. He did not have a good night's sleep. In fact, he did not get hardly any sleep at all. Wound up about the game and in great discomfort, downright pain, from the uh, stomach ulcer that has been bothering him so he went to Jim Gregory and he told him he is not well enough to continue coaching the team the decision was made that John will not return to the Maple Leafs to coach this season and for better or for worse the Maple Leafs are now King Clancy's team the rest of the way at least for this season (laughs) The NHL this season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks and big wins and as the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook and an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League has your shot to win Big 2. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and you get $150 in free bets if your team wins. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you and if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everybody can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So... Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and you get $150 in free bets if that team wins. That's promo code TH. PN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Must be 21 or over. Some restrictions do apply. You gotta wonder what the heck is going on in Miami with the screaming beagles or angry birds or whatever they're going to call them this week. They go and they spend half a million, maybe three-quarters of a million dollars, nobody knows for sure, on Bernie Perrant, signing him away from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, They hired Les Patrick of the famed Patrick Hockey family to be the general manager. Then a reporter drives out to where the beautiful new uh, executive center, I think they called it, arena was being built. and There's no sign of an arena anywhere on the grounds there right now. Not a lot of construction going on. Then this week... The Ballyhoo general manager, only 31 by the way, is fired by owner Herb Martin just after he landed Bernie Perrant. Now, Les Patrick was given his pink slip. The reason was that he engaged in activities not consistent with those of a professional hockey general manager. Martin or Patrick, I should say, could not be located for comment. Both the Miami Herald and the Miami News went uh, high, looked high and low for Les Patrick. Couldn't find him in the, for, in the next few days. We will find somebody who did contact him, and that will be in one of our Patreon uh, episodes, and we'll find out at least Les Patrick's idea on why he left. Martin, Herb Martin, owner of the Screaming Eagles, Says that he's going after former Bruins coach Harry Sinden to take over the general manager post and possibly dual role as coach as well. I doubt Harry will be interested in something like that. Herb Martin thinks he will be. An interesting uh, WHA story out of Montreal, where former Montreal Canadiens tough guy John Ferguson says he wants a piece of the action of Quebec City's World Hockey Association team. So to that end, Fergie and a couple of his business associates were heading to Quebec this week where they were planning to meet up with the the, uh, Quebec City WHA ownership group in an effort to forge some sort of partnership. And we'll have to see how this progresses in the coming days. Here's an interesting story about uh, an interview that Doug Michelle, owner of the Ottawa Nationals of the WHA, did. I hadn't heard this story back then. Uh, At least I don't remember it. But we got some interesting details here. Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs will both be members of the World Hockey Association within five years, according to a prediction by the Ottawa Nationals owner, Doug Michelle. Michelle claims that the two Canadian-based teams were told at a recent meeting of NHL governors that if they didn't like the way things were going... They could just get out. Commenting at the end of a press conference where they signed a three-year agreement with the Ottawa Civic Centre, Michelle claimed that the WHA offers distinct advantages to the two teams and to Canadian-born players. He said the tax laws are more attractive in Canada... Oh, stick around for 50 years, Doug. And coupled with a better home life for married players and more fan recognition, it makes Canada a much more desirable place for high-profile hockey players to ply their trade. Michelle described himself as not anti-american but as pro-canadian he said most of the country's natural resources including hockey players are being controlled by u.s interests and canadians deserve a better break we already have five teams in canada and we haven't even started yet he explained the nhl we'll never put another team in Canada. Look at all the trouble Vancouver went just to get in the league. At present, the five Canadian teams are Ottawa, Quebec City, Winnipeg, Calgary, and of course Edmonton. Michelle dismissed Vancouver ever joining up with the WHA. Why? Well, of course, because the team is owned by Americans. The Ottawa owner also predicted a World Cup playoff between the WHA and a European champion by the end of the new league's second year of operation – We're planning on asking Europe to choose a champion to play against us with the winner of our series ready to challenge the National Hockey League. Now, Michelle said that they don't expect the NHL to accept the challenge or take part, so it's probably going to be either Europe or them by default. Michelle feels Europe could also provide a vast pool of talent for the WHA and more specifically his Ottawa Nationals. He said he was surprised when two Swedish players phoned him recently and both were well supplied with information about the WHA. Michelle feels a North American salaries could entice top European players to play in the WHA and that co-worker Buck Ull has a wealth of knowledge on overseas talent thanks to his work with hockey Canada. There's a lot of speculation that Uhl is a good candidate as either general manager or coach of the Oshawa Nationals, Ottawa Nationals, but Michelle says he hasn't even talked contract with Uhl yet. There was an ugly incident this week in hockey. We'll talk to you about that. It uh, occurred in a game between the Boston Bruins and the Minnesota North Stars, several notable uh, occurrences in that game, but this uh, incident of stick swinging between Wayne Cashman of the Bruins and Dennis Hextall of the North Stars was especially uh, best described as sickening. Ted Blackman of the Montreal Gazette wrote about it after the incident took place, but before NHL President Clarence Campbell examined to see whether there should be further penalties. And wait till you hear about the penalties. Thanks to referee Bill Friday. In case you missed it, the incident went this way. Hextall is a rather rowdy bouncer in the employ of Minnesota. He gathered up the puck in his own end and began a sortie through center ice. As he crossed his blue line, Cashman delivered a two-handed slash across his leg. Nothing unusual for Cash. As he crossed the red line, Cashman wound up for another and this one cracked right across cross hextel's ankles hextel made it into the boston inn and relieved of the puck retaliated on the truculent aggressor with a sickening spear in the neighborhood of the jugular cashman yanked his head back in time reacting just in time to avoid injury that could have ranged from a cord Adam's apple to the loss of an eye. This brainless gesture prompted members of the Bruins to engage Hextall in second degree shoving behind the net. Now by this time Cashman who went down like he'd been shot by a sniper he had sufficiently amazingly recovered his poise and came leaping into the crowd, head over the top. He swung his stick down at Hextall's unhelmeted head, which jerked quickly, and the blow fell upon Hextall's shoulders. Referee Bill Friday, who had signaled a delayed penalty against Cashman for the first two-hander, stuck with his prosecution of a minor penalty despite the second vicious swing. He called Hextall's retaliation spearing despite its obvious attempt to injure which of course would then necessitate the imposition of a match penalty. A match penalty is banishment from the match for, deliberate, for deliberately trying to injure an opponent. He determined Cashman's, Friday that is, determined Cashman's attempt to crush Hextall's skull, he called it a minor for charging. That's comparable to busting Lee Harvey Oswald for assault. Yes, this incident approximated the the Mackey-Green affair back a couple years ago as closely as as we might ever see or ever want to see. Cashman's two-hand swings were of injurious intent. Hextall's spear to the face was unquestionably so, and Cashman's leaping swing at Hextall's head grew sickening with each replay that people saw. Now Bill Friday either blew it or he missed it. That is, he missed all four stick attacks, but he didn't miss them because he was going to give minor penalties because that's the way things are done in hockey in 1972 and to a lesser extent in 2022, 50 years later. They still don't get it right. In either case anyway, between these two players in 72. Friday did his job poorly and anyone with respect for people in high places such as Scotty Morrison or Clarence Campbell will assume immediate action will be taken to administer belated belated justice. Well, later in the week, Clarence Campbell got a videotape machine. He got a videotape. He got films and he watched himself some movies. Not something he'd been really... uh, engaged in a lot during his time as president of the NHL, but times they were a-changing and so was Mr. Campbell apparently making the league safer. And he felt that this egregious, terrible fight was worth a three-game suspension to each player for swinging their sticks at each other's heads. One team, of course, having been involved in something like this a couple of years ago when Ted Green had his skull caved in by Wayne Mackey. Both players also were fined, as well as the three-game suspension. Cashman will pay $200 for swinging his stick above the shoulders, and Hextall was docked 100 bucks for spearing Cashman near the chin. Uh, these suspensions will have little or no effect on the standings of either club. The Bruins immediately announced that they would appeal Cashman's suspension, but they were talked out of that before Cashman's first game was due to be played. It was against the New York Rangers, and he sat out, and the Bruins still won One of the uh, real great writers uh, during this time, 1972, was Dave Anderson of the New York Times. Dave did sports. He did it really well. He didn't get into hockey too much, but on this occasion, he did with one of our all-time favorites, and we'll talk about that right now. Among the gods of twilight, George Blanda of the Oakland Raiders has been revered as the toughest of the old athletes, but he's a place kicker and a substitute quarterback. He wears a helmet with a perfecti- protective face bar, and his season involves only 14 games. Not that George Blanda's is to be scorned, mind you. Soon to be 44 years old, he is a snarling competitor, but the toughest of the old athletes might just be Lorne Gumpersley, soon to be 43, a pudgy goaltender who has signed a new two-year contract with the North Stars through the 1974 Stanley Cup playoffs. And a week after those playoffs end, I'll be 45, he says, his eyes twinkling, and I'll be eligible For my NHL pension, after nearly 25 years in the National Hockey League, Gump will have deserved it. In his bulky pads, he has the burden of a football team's entire defensive backfield. He is the only goaltender of stature to spurn a mask that would protect his face and psyche from the rock-hard six-ounce puck as players swarm in on him with sticks in their hands and knives on their feet. In the two-goaltender system that now prevails, his share of the 78-game season will be about 35 games and perhaps another half dozen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. With an unusual bonus of $1,000 for each victory, he participates in $500 for each tie and an extra 100 bucks for each shutout atop his $40,000 salary. Gump's earnings are approaching $60,000. Not bad for somebody who endured a nervous breakdown with the Montreal Canadiens two seasons ago. Gump said, I'd I'd had it. I didn't want to play anymore. I didn't want to fly in the planes anymore. But, But the Canadians, they took it good care of me they just didn't say goodbye you're gone eh they sent me to a psychiatrist I started feeling better I even played in an old-timers game one day Ren Blair called me he says alluding to the North Stars general manager and I thought he was pulling kind of a smooth play on me uh Ren said how'd you like to play for us eh He. I said you got to get Canadians permission he said I already got it And the Gump told him, all right, call me back in a couple days. His wife, Doreen, suggested he join the North Stars for the remainder of that season. Gump says it's the best move I ever made. We love it there. It's quiet. It's clean. The wife and the kids love it. Doreen told me not to think about jumping to that new league because she ain't going to move. And we've got a terrific coach. Jackie Gordon tells Cesar Maniego and me, if you're having problems, don't come to me with it. You work it out with each other. We watch each other for mistakes. We're roommates. We both know that one guy can't play for the whole bundle. Him and me, we admit it, there's just no way you can do it these days. Worsley says Caesar was going to retire. He wasn't going to sign a new contract unless he signed. So Gump signed the new contract, and with all the travel now, two goalkeepers, equal partners, are a necessity. But the same man who ignores a mask perspires with tension during an airplane ride. On our charters, I find it easier to sit up with the pilots. I can see what's going on. They explain things. Sometimes they have extra earphones and I can hear what's going on on the radio. I still don't enjoy it, but it's a lot better than it was. I took the family to Florida, but every little bump I grab on, I hang on for dear life. My youngest one, Leanne, she's just four. She laughed. Look at daddy. She's says but the mask it's different I never went to it I never had one on not long ago he was knocked out cold we told you about that last week I think by a puck that struck him square in the nose and that's happened before Andre Pernobo tipped one that cut me over and under the eye and that was the worst one but I finished the game Bobby Hull rifled one off my ear and the ear turned black an occupational hazard they call it that Another occupational hazard for some goalkeepers is drinking to soothe the tensions of their burden. In his years with the New York Rangers, the 5 foot 8 goalkeeper was labeled a beer belly by coach Phil Watson. Gump was offended and informed Watson he only drank VO. But now as tough an old athlete as he is, he's a wise old athlete two. After a game or two with water, that's it. I found out at Christmas when Bren Blair had a party his house for the whole team. Don't worry about anything. Drink whatever you want, he said. It took me two days to get over that one. I can't drink like that anymore, Gump says, because if I don't get my uh, right sleep at night, I start to feel my age. So that is this week's show, everybody. What did we learn this time around? Well, we learned that Marcel Dion is setting another record for points for rookies. Richard Martin got the goal record, but Marcel Dion gets the total point record. Now there's another kid who might set some scoring records for rookies in the NHL someday. Nah, he's four foot four, he's 70 pounds, and he's 10 years old. He's gonna have to put a lot of meat on those bones in ten years to have any sniff at the NHL. We're talking about the kid from Brantford named Gretzky. And we learned that the Screaming Eagles, Angry Birds, whatever you want to call them, they had the greatest general manager in history in Les Patrick. So they told us a few months ago, well, he got fired this week before the teams even played a game. And we don't know why. Conduct unbecoming, apparently, is what the owner says. But we're going to find out. Maybe we'll uh, let you know. Coming up, the playoff races get down to the uh, nitty-gritty as re- season end is coming up. We'll see who ends up in the playoffs, who's on the outside, and the playoffs this year will prove to be very, very interesting. Stay with us all the way through. It should be a really uh, good ride to the end this year. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole I can't thank Andy enough for all the hard work he puts into this, really. He saved it. We wouldn't be anywhere near producing this uh, if it weren't for him. Uh, The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, The Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction music. And if you ever get a chance to see them perform line, they put on a great high energy show. They are crisscrossing the United States in May on their first tour in two or three years. And uh, they're going to be in a lot of the cities that uh, I'm sure are listening to our show. Other musical pieces and sound effects in the podcast are created by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Global Mail, and of course one of our sponsors, newspapers.com, without whose help we could not complete this podcast as well. Don't forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company, Located in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. If you ever get to the Niagara region, make your way to Port Colborne. I'll meet up with you for a beer and a burger at the Breakwall. You can find us every week here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Anywhere where you download your podcast, we'll be there. We are on Twitter at Hockey50Years, soon to return to action, we hope. We're on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. WordPress site is hockey50yearsago.com. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. And on that note, we will see you next time. When the ice spray.